0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Last week, we were in the first part of Genesis chapter 18, and that's when uh, Abraham and Sarah, uh, uh, Ishmael, their son through Hagar, the Egyptian slave, had already been born. He was 13 years old by this time. God had promised a child to Abraham and Sarah, and uh, but... You know, they kind of took matters into their own hands uh, and, and uh, uh, Ishmael was born. Uh, but then God and uh, Jesus in a pre-New Testament appearance and two angels came and visited Abraham there in, in the plains of Mamre where they're at and announced a year from now uh, you're going to have a son. Sarah's going to have a son. Abraham was 99 years old. Sarah would have been 89 years old. She was 10 years younger. So this is just a miracle. Um, so anyways... That's where the story left. At this point, the men are still there visiting with Abraham and Sarah. And so in verse 16 of chapter 18, if you want to turn your Bibles there, that's where we're picking it up. Really, he's saying is, I'm not going to hide Abraham, from Abraham what I'm doing. And there's three reasons that he gives. He says, first of all, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, the nation of Israel would descend from Abraham. Uh, the nation of Israel, that name, uh, by the way, his grandson, Jacob, would actually, his name would be changed to Israel. Jacob was a like a con artist, basically. His name means heel catcher or supplanter. And God changed his name to Israel, which means led by God. And so this nation of Israel, they would be in a special relationship with God. In fact, the Messiah would come through Abraham's descendants. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so there there was a relationship. In fact, in the New Testament, the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. And uh, Jesus, in John 15, verse 15, he's talking to his disciples. And he says, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. It's just that relationship. You know, when you're close with someone, you share intimate things you share what's going on in your life and Jesus wants a relationship with each one of us and and he'll reveal things to you as you spend time in his presence as you read his word and as you pray so that's the first reason because of the relationship Abraham had and the children of Israel would have with God then he also says for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice And this is where the King James is a little bit better, I think. Anyways, it says, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. If you were here last week, at the end of the chapter, there, the end of the portion of scripture, God told Abraham to go and be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. He would be circumcised, his sons would be circumcised, and his, all the males in his household would be circumcised. And Abraham, he displayed godly leadership. He First of all, he himself was circumcised that very same day. And then his teenage son, can you imagine getting a teenager to do anything? His teenage son, 13 years old, was circumcised. That wouldn't be probably, That would have been a tough thing, but he did it. Because he was a leader in his family. And then all, not only the, the son and uh, Abraham, but also all the males in his household, all the servants, all the, the people that worked for him, uh, they all were circumcised in obedience to the Lord. And so Abraham, he feared the Lord and he was obedient to the Lord. Psalm says this, 25 verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 3.32, "'For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, "'but his secret counsel is with the upright.'" So that's the second reason. Abraham was going to pass on this information to his children. And then finally, "'That the Lord may bring to Abraham what has spoken to him.'" God had commanded Abraham to walk blameless before him. And that word blameless, it means complete, not to have a divided heart. Um, And it's be contrasted to Lot, which we will look at a little bit later. But that covenant that God had made with Abraham, it wasn't a conditional covenant. In other words, it wasn't like, Abraham, if you blow it, I'm not going to do these things. It was an unconditional covenant that God had made with Abraham. However, that covenant, that agreement that God made with Abraham, it should have an impact on Abraham's life. You know, you and I, we're saved by grace. It's not like we didn't bargain with the Lord or we didn't do anything to earn our salvation. It's a free gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ. But just the fact that it's a gift of grace doesn't mean like, oh, I just go do my own thing now. No, the, the fact that I'm saved by grace should have an impact on our lives. And, and, and so this is what Abraham, he said, it's that the Lord may, may fulfill or kind of like he'll do, you know, he's going to be a, a recipient of this covenant and he should act like he's a recipient of the covenant. That's why we should, you know, when we come to faith in the Lord, our lives should look different. We should be changed. And it's not because, well, I won't go to heaven now. Because if you've been, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved. You will have eternal life. But our lives should be changed as a result of that. So there's three reasons why God wanted to reveal these things to Abraham. And, you know, some people, you know, uh, have you ever heard of the Rosicrucians? It's like a secret order. They've got this hidden wisdom and stuff. There's these cults and different religious groups that have this secret knowledge. And it almost sounds like God's like, I'm going to give Abraham these secrets and nobody's going to know. It wasn't secret knowledge. What God wanted Abraham to do is God wanted Abraham to understand his heart understand his heart, and that knowledge of God's heart would transform Abraham's heart. And we'll see that here shortly. How you and I view and treat other people is directly proportional to our understanding of the heart of God. If you understand God's heart, it will affect how you, how you interact with people all around you. So God wants to do this change in Abraham. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 29, For whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God wants to conform you and I into the image of Jesus Christ. Well, verse 22, it continues. It says, Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, I mentioned earlier, these two men were angels. They head down to Sodom. And now it's just the Lord himself and Abraham. And it says, and Abraham came near. Now, Abraham must have known that this was the Lord, but he came near by faith. And it's no wonder that the Bible calls him a friend of God. Jehoshaphat called him a friend of God. Isaiah called him a friend of God. The apostle James calls him a friend of God. And, and Abraham, by faith, he came near. Hebrews 10.22 tells you and I. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The you know, Lord Jesus wants you to draw near to him, into a relationship with him. He's just waiting for you. He's waiting for me. And so Abraham draws near to the Lord, and he, and he says to the Lord, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked, now that's an interesting thing. You know, he's obviously his nephew Lot is there in Sodom, as we'll find out a little bit later. Earlier, and I think it was like chapter fourteen, we were there. Um, Abraham rescued Lot, Lot and and the king of Sodom and all the inhabitants. There's a bunch of kings that went to war with some other kings. All those kings got conquered. They got, they got dragged off, and all their belongings got dragged off as booty and everything. And, and, and Abraham took, uh, he had a couple of friends, and he had 318 servants in his household. And he, they went down there, and they, they captured, or they had battle with these other kings. They rescued not only Lot, but the, the, all the inhabitants of Sodom, the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom wanted to give Abraham, or yeah, wanted to give Abraham like some of the booty that they received back, you know, I'll give you some of the money. And Abraham refused to uh, receive any of that. It was a beautiful testimony, you know. It was because of the, he said, I don't want to be wealthy from you. The Lord's going to take care of me. I don't need your money. Um, but you know what? It's interesting. There's no record of any repentance on the part of the Sodomites. And so you would think, or I would think anyways, once... The, you know, Abraham hears, hey, I'm going to destroy those wicked people. You would think like the, or I would think <laughs> like the prophet Jonah. You know, that, remember Jonah, when, when he found out that God was going to destroy, destroy Nineveh, he was like, all right, <laughs> they deserve it, you know. Um, Abraham didn't do that. Abraham instead starts interceding for the people. Look at verse 24. He says, suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be judged, uh, should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of the earth do right? You know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but it, sometimes it bothers me. You know, if, I, if I've, I've said to someone I'm going to do something and then they hold me accountable to it. You know, they, they like what well, you said or, or, you know, you're, you know, they, they bring up something in my past to bolster their argument. Sometimes I kind of like, oh, man, I wish they wouldn't have brought that up. You know, God doesn't feel that way. He likes it when you bring things up to him, when you remind him of his promises and his character. Why? Is it because he's short, you know, he's got short-term memory loss? No. No, he doesn't. It's because, first of all, it means you're paying attention to what he says. You've been reading the word. You, you know what the word says. You, you know what he has said. And you're reminding him. It, you're, you're bringing up. But also, you're understanding his heart in, in matters. You're understanding his character. And, uh, and so Abraham, he started to understand the character of God. He's a merciful God. He's a loving God. And so he says, far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And, you know, we see it from, you know, Abraham gets, uh, you know, his perspective. He's, maybe he thinks he's convincing God not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because there might be some righteous people in there in the city. And, and you know, God shouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. Um, but, you know, what's really happening behind the scenes, God's doing a work in Abraham's heart. God's changing Abraham into being an intercessor for people. Um, Ezekiel 22, verse 30. He says this, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them, I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. God's looking for people who are willing to stand in the gap for those who are intercessors who will stand on the gap before him on behalf of the land you know the apostle peter tells us in the new testament second peter says the lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked it's not like god was like anxious to destroy sodom and gomorrah god wanted them to repent he wants all of us to repent And so Abraham starts this bargaining process with the Lord. He says, suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Verse 26, so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now I, who uh, who I am but dust and ashes, have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I'll speak, but once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went on his way as as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. The reality was there were not even 10 righteous within the city of Sodom. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Lot, by the way, is Abraham's nephew, and he's in the, in the, in the city of Sodom here. We find him that in chapter 19. It's very educational. If you go back into the earlier chapters in Genesis, and kind of trace where it mentions where Lot lives and what Lot's doing. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, Abraham and Lot. Abraham's got all these, this cattle and, he, and he's got all these servants. And Lot is becoming prosperous. He's got lots of cattle and a lot of servants. And pretty soon it's like, the, you know, this land's too much for the, for the both of us. Abraham says, "You go, you pick whatever land you want. Whatever land you want, I'll take the other land. But we have to separate. And it says there in chapter thirteen, verse ten that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. see Sodom, that whole land where Sodom was, it was a very fertile place there, prior to what we 're going to study here in, in chapter nineteen, so he lifted up his eyes he goes, "Man, that is prime real estate that 's what I want." Well, later on, we find in chapter, uh, verse 12 of chapter 13, it says, Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. So now he's not just looking there. Now he's getting kind of closer to Sodom. He's, he's pitching his tent even as far as Sodom. Then in chapter 14, verse 12, it says, They also took Lot, Abraham's brother, uh, brother's son, excuse me, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. That's when he got captured. See, by that time, not only was he close to Sodom, now he's inside the city of Sodom. He's living inside the city of Sodom. And God sends Abraham uh, to rescue Lot. And and Lot, or excuse me, Abraham gives us wonderful testimony to the king of Sodom after he meets Melchizedek. And undoubtedly, Lot, either he was there when that exchange takes place, or... He heard about it later on. This should have been a wake-up call for Lot. Hey, Lot, what are you doing there in this city? You should get out of there. Um, But instead, here in chapter 19, now we find him sitting in the gate of Sodom. What does it mean, sitting in the gate? Well, in that culture and in that day, if you were a city elder... If you were like, you know, you did real estate transactions or you did civic things like you made decisions or whatever, uh, probably their building safety department, whatever, they, they all they, were, they sat in the city gate. That's where, all the, that's where all the big important things happened was in the city gate. So if you get a picture of this, not only is, is Lot living in Sana'a, but now he's, it's like he's on the city council. And he's there in the city. He's part of the leadership there in the city. Um. So what do we see in Lot's life? You know, there was a little compromise, and it led to a greater compromise, and it led to a greater compromise to the point where instead of being warned, taking, heeding that warning of when he was rescued by Abraham, you know, he, all he thinks about is the wealth and the, just all the, the luxury of living in Sodom. Not to mention all the wickedness. He just kind of like just put that out of his mind, but man, this is a great place to live. It's fertile. It's just, it's wealthy. Things are happening here. Things were really happening there. Um, so when Lot saw them, the angels, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Verse two. And he said, here now, my Lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. So here here is you know, that, that, getting that hospitality, wanting to bring them into his home. And Lot's probably thinking, man, these guys are definitely not from around here because, man, they want to spend the night in the open square. This is not a safe place. It's not like <laughs> Rochester. You know, I think you could, you could pr- pretty much most of Rochester or all of Rochester is probably safe, but Where I grew up, there were certain parts of town you just didn't, you just kind of avoided it, you know, because it's like it's not a safe place. And Lot's probably thinking, hey, you know what? (laughs) These guys are definitely from out of town, man. They don't realize how dangerous it is. And so verse 3 says, but he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Verse 4. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called a lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, don't do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. This is a very hard thing to read, isn't it? It's a very hard thing for me as a pastor to even to rationalize or to explain, being willing to offer his daughters in exchange for the safety of his guests. I can't believe God would allow that. You know what? God's not necessarily allowing that. In fact, God doesn't, you know, the Bible doesn't justify Lot's actions here. It just reports it. This is what happened. This is what Lot did. Now, it could have been that Lot knew at this point that the two men were actually angels, and so what these guys were proposing to do it was a far worse sin. But it also was a cultural thing that it was very important that you protected the guests that come under your roof. But again, the Bible's not condoning this, it's just recording it. Verse 9. So this is the response from the the men of the city. So then they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. Now what's interesting, you know, Peter tells us in 2 Peter that Lot was righteous. So he was not a participant in the wickedness of Sodom. However, he was compromised so much that his testimony meant nothing to the people around them. You know, he was a follower of Jehovah in the midst of all this wickedness around him, and any of his attempts to reason with them, it was just regarded as judging. I don't know about you, but if you look in our culture, it's kind of the same thing, right? If you, if you speak against anyone, you're intolerant, or you're a hater, or you're a homophobe, or this or that, you know, it's like you can't say anything anymore, because you're going to offend somebody, well, these guys, you know, they're like, man, this guy's coming in here acting like a judge. Who's he to judge us? So they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and came near to break down the door. Verse 10, but the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whoever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws, and had, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-laws, they, he seemed to be joking. Now if you caught that, earlier... Lot's like, you know, you guys can, you know, my two daughters have not known any men. And now we find out that he's, they're married. What's the deal with that? Well, in that culture, there was a, what was known as a betrothal period. It's kind of like our engagement period. But in that culture, you were considered married even though you hadn't consummated the marriage. So that's why they're called uh, son-in-laws, because they were betrothed. But they hadn't actually consummated the marriage, evidently. So Lot went to these guys and said, hey, God's going to destroy the city. You've got to get out of here. And they thought he was playing a prank. Yeah, Lot, you're just joking, man. What are you doing? Verse 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, lingered the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. You think about it. Even after the terrible events of the night earlier, the night before, Lot's lingering. He's hesitating. He's delaying. He's like, the, you know, we call Terry. He's just, like, he's just like hanging out. It's like he's not in a rush to get out of there. All I can think of is he is probably so desensitized to the sin around him that he grew complacent. It's like, oh, okay, I guess. You know, and you contrast that to Abraham's obedience. God said, I want you to be circumcised, all the men. God, it, the Bible says that very same day Abraham was circumcised. Abraham was immediately obedient. Lot, he's like, you know, this place is going to get destroyed. Okay, all right, you know. It, no no rush, no sense of urgency. Well, each angel forcibly grabbed the hand of two people, either Lot and his wife or Lot and a daughter, and his <clears throat> wife and a daughter, and they led all four out of the city. Verse 17, uh, verse 17. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please, know my lords. Indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. You know, back when Abraham was interceding for the city of Sodom, he said to the Lord, Man, far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the wicked should be excuse me so that the righteous should be as the wicked far be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth uh, of all the earth do right abram had a sense he understood that god's a merciful god god's not going to destroy the righteous with the with the wicked and, and and so abraham he knew god's heart in this matter and the angel confirms it when he says tells him hey hurry to zoar because i can't do anything until you arrive here I can't do anything until you're out of that place. The Lord will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. You know, the Bible teaches that there is a time coming when God is going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. It's a seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation. Jesus described it in Matthew 24, verse 21. He says, For then there will be... Uh, a great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh should be saved, or no flesh would be saved, but for the elects, those days will be shortened. This is also known as as Daniel's 70th week. If you look in, in the book of Daniel, it's also called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a seven-year period where God is going to be dealing directly with the nation of Israel, um, but... <clears throat> God's not going to destroy uh, the righteous with the wicked. And this is what I believe. And this is what I believe scripture supports, that the church is not going to go through the great tribulation, through any part of it. I believe that we are going to be raptured out of here. Paul, speaking of this event in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter. He refers to Lot's deliverance from Sodom, and, and, and he says this in 2 Peter 2.9, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Jesus speaking to a historical church in the book of Revelation, the church at Philadelphia, but he's also, if you do a study on the, on the book of Revelation, the letters to the seven churches, it's not only to a specific church, but it's also to a time period in church history. And the time period of church history is the, the time of Philadelphia, as I, is, is, I think we're actually right in that time right now. And Jesus speaks to this church in Revelation 3.10. He says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So what's taking place here in this story of Lot and his wife and their two daughters? I believe it's an Old Testament type or a picture of the rapture of the church that'll happen in, that's that's talked about in the New Testament. Now, verse 23 says, The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the hamps of the city and what grew on the ground. Uh, it's like, can you fathom, did that really happen? I mean wow, how did that happen? Was it a supernatural, miraculous phenomena, or is there some kind of a natural explanation for it? Nobody knows, right? None of us were there. Well, Dr. Henry Morris from the Creation Institute, he writes this, unless the judgment was entirely miraculous in its physical nature as well as its timing, the most likely explanation seems to be the sudden release by an earthquake and volcanic explosion of great quantities of gas, sulfur, and bituminous materials that had accumulated from materials entrapped beneath the valley floor during the flood. These were ignited by a simultaneous electrical storm so that it appeared to Abraham, watching from afar, that the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. Geologically, there is evidence of some upheaval, volcanic upheaval in that region there. Verse 26, and I bet you even if you weren't a believer in the Lord, you've probably heard this verse before. But his wife, Lot's wife, looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. What? What is that about? Again, I'm going to quote Dr. Henry Morris. Lot's wife looked by, back. The phrase might even be rendered returned back or lagged back, seeking to cling to her luxurious life in Sodom. So, you know, it could have been. A supernatural phenomenon she just turned to the salt or it could have been a natural phenomenon and, you know i'm not gonna, i'm not a scientist i'm, I'm not going to go into it in any event what happened to her serves as a warning because jesus in, in uh, luke 17 32 says remember lot's wife whoever seeks to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it if you're seeking to live your life here you know, the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and forfeits his soul? And you're seeking to cling down to life as much as you can, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're gonna, in the end, you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose it all. Verse 27, And Abraham went early in the morning in, uh, to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. So there were not even ten righteous people in Sodom. But the Lord, on behalf of Abraham's intercession, the Lord spared Lot and his family. Verse 30, Then Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains. And his two daughters were, were with him. For he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now, if it's interesting, the angel said, get up to the mountains. And Lot, you know, he got out of, uh, out of, out of Sodom. And he says, hey, I, I'm afraid of going up into the mountains. Can I just go to this little small town called Zoar? Can I, it's just a small town. Can, can we go there? And the angel says, okay, I'll spare that city. You can go there. Um, again, you know it's just it seems like lots just he just wants to compromise all the time instead of just obeying the angels for whatever reason they become afraid of living in Zoar or Zor, and they end up living in the mountains anyways Now, it would have been better for them to just obey the lord in the first place so he and his daughter start living in a cave now, scientists or geologists or archaeologists will say that, you know, people started in caves and then moved out of caves. and you know, But here we see people that were living in a city, now they're living in a cave. So interesting. Verse 31. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, And the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know that she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night, let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. You know, as compromised as Lot was, he probably wouldn't have consented to doing something as, as horrible as this without being drunk. They got him drunk. You know what's ironic about this whole thing? In his drunken state, Lot is carrying out that shameful act that he had earlier suggested that the men of Sodom do. Isn't that ironic? Again, the Bible is not condoning these things. The children born from this incest become the patriarchs of the Moabites and the Ammonites. They become enemies of the children of Israel. uh, There's a commentator, David Guzik. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor. He wrote this. I want to quote it. He says, We may be uncomfortable with the idea that the Bible includes the records of such disgraceful sins. Yet Donald Barnhouse observes, It is far better for children to learn the facts of life from the word of God where sin is condemned than from dirty words on alley walls or from lewd stories. No one can escape knowledge of sin. These things are never mentioned without being accompanied by the stern warnings that God hates sin and punishes it. Well, the angels had spared the inhabitants of Zoar, right? We read that. There were people in the land of Zoar. So the angel or the, the daughters must have known that there were people there. You know, they said, Hey, there's nobody else alive. We're the only ones left. Well, that's not true. And they must have known that. Now it's very difficult to make sense of their reasoning. In fact, I can't even understand what their reasoning is. But I think what it does is it points to Lot, their father. See, the Lord had revealed his intentions to destroy Sodom to Abraham, his friend. And he did that knowing, like I said earlier, knowing that Abraham would teach his children after him about the righteousness of God. God's a holy God. You can't be a sinner in his presence, but Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin and gave us, when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, then there's an exchange that takes place. He takes our sin upon him, and he gives us his righteousness, and then we can stand holy before God. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, you're a saint. You don't have to wait 300 years to be declared a saint. You are a saint, according to the Bible. Abraham would teach his children about the righteousness of God, a holy God, but also the mercy of the Lord, because God's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. And, you know, we'll see next week, Abraham had some failings, just like all of us fathers do. We make mistakes. We don't always live up perfectly in our lives. But overall, when you look at Abraham's life, he was a godly man who served the Lord, and he was called a friend of God. He served the Lord with his whole heart and his whole mind. Now, Lot, on the other hand, again, the Bible calls him righteous. Peter, in Second Peter, says Lot was righteous. But in contrast with Abraham, Lot's story is one of compromise and carnality. Yeah, he was saved, or he was righteous, but he was also compromised. And he did not know the heart of the Lord the way Abraham did. He didn't spend time with the Lord. And he didn't pass on to his daughters the spiritual legacy that Abraham passed on to his children. So the responsibility, yeah, you could say, why did the daughters do something? It, it it, It ultimately falls on Lot. He wasn't a godly father. The sad consequences of this action, uh, it's the sad consequence of this, you know, what his daughters did. Listen, Abraham knew judgment was coming to Sodom, but he also knew the heart of the Lord. And so Abraham started interceding. Just like God. God wanted him. God, God does not desire that the wicked perish. God wants all to come to repentance. And so Abraham understood that. And so Abraham intercedes God's looking for people who are willing to stand in the gap before the Lord on behalf of the land. Now you know what God's revealed things to us. It's not a secret knowledge, but if you study the Bible, you find out. You know, you start looking at the. You read the prophecies of the last days, and you get your newspaper, or you get your. If your newspapers are becoming less and less popular, you look at your iPad or whatever, and you read the news there. You can you can read them and go, wow, you know, the Bible talks about this stuff. We see it happening. Um, we have this understanding. The Lord is revealing that judgment is coming soon to this world. You know, there were these men in King David's army. They were known as the sons of Issachar. And it's interesting with how they're described. It so says the sons of Issachar, they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And you and I as believers, we have an understanding of the time. <laughs> Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 5:4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. The day of the Lord. We're not in darkness. We should understand the times. We know what God's people ought to do. God wants us to have His heart to be conformed to the image of His Son. You know what God's heart is? God's heart is that a sinner turns away from His or, from his or her way. And so, um, you know, the Lord's looking for intercessors. The Lord's looking for us to have his heart. Uh, There's a purpose for our lives here on this planet. You know, if if God just wanted us to go to heaven, he could have just saved each one of us. And the minute you're saved, poof, you're out of here. You know, poof, there goes another, another one except the Lord. Poof, 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 poof. You know, it's like popcorn. You didn't do that. He left us on the earth. Why? Because he wants us to intercede for this world around him. He wants us. We're ambassadors for Christ. He wants us to pray for people. He wants us to share the gospel, the love of Christ with people. Invite people to church. He wants us people to He wants us to do these things, so that people may know that God loves them and He has a plan and a purpose for their lives. If you're here this morning and you don't know Lord Jesus, man, that's what that's what this message is. We're sinners. We're all sinners, but praise God, God sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. He paid the price that I can't pay. I, I I couldn't earn righteousness. I couldn't do anything. Jesus Christ paid the price for me, died on the cross. Three days later, He rose again from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. And now he offers that forgiveness. Anyone that will come to him by faith and say, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for me. Lord, come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. I'm so sorry for my sins. And if you'll pray that prayer, and what we're going to pray here in a few minutes tonight, today. If you pray that prayer, God hears your prayers. He knows your heart already. He brought you here. And he, knows your prayer, he knows your heart, and he's just waiting for you to come to him. And so let's draw near to the Lord. Why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. Lord, this is a difficult passage to teach on. Not a very comfortable subject. But Lord, it's reality. And Lord, in our culture, we see it even more around us, Lord, the reality of this sin. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just destroy the place without rescuing Lot and his daughters and his wife. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you haven't, poured out your judgment on the world yet Lord you gave me an opportunity to come to faith in you Lord sometimes we wonder why it's taken so long for you to return it's like it's a it's a fairy tale it's not going to happen and yet Lord the Bible teaches that you're not slow you're not slack in your promise but you're waiting for more people to repent to come to faith in you so this morning Lord God I pray if there's anybody here that's never prayed to to receive you into their heart they've never repented of their sins that they might do that this morning as I pray Lord If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you want to pray to receive Christ, God hears you. He knows your heart. As I pray, I just invite you to pray along with me. You can pray silently in your heart. You can pray verbally. It doesn't matter. God knows your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for me. I know I am a sinner. Lord, I repent of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again from the dead. And, Lord, I ask that you would come into my heart. Lord, I'm tired of living this way. Please be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone who might have made that prayer this morning. Lord, I also pray for the rest of us believers here, Lord. Or maybe we're in a place of compromise in our lives. Lord, I pray that we might, this might be a wake-up call for us. That we may understand that the times are short. That we're to be about your business, Lord. We're not to be about building kingdoms here. But, Lord, we should realize that someday all of this is going to pass away. And the only thing that's going to matter is if we have a relationship with you and what we've done with that relationship, Lord, if we've lived our life for you or not. So, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the reminders this morning. Lord, I want to just pray your blessing on each and every person here this morning. I thank you for bringing them here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.